Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Joining us, I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. This is the second in our series of podcasts on mobility as a service. And our guest today is Sam Zimbabwe. He is the director of Seattle DOT. Sam joined SDOT earlier this year after spending about seven and a half years with the District Department of Transportation in Washington, D.C. Sam, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thanks for having me, Bernie. When you think about mobility and you think of American cities, I think a lot of folks would probably put Seattle either at the top or near the top of any list of American cities where there are a number of mobility options. Obviously, you have some of the usual ones like buses and light rail, but you also have bike share, uh, vehicle sharing programs, the Seattle streetcar, which I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with. And given that, it seems only fitting you created a new mobility playbook I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about that new mobility playbook and the purpose that it serves for the city of Seattle, if you would, please. Just to give a little bit of context, you know, Seattle is changing very quickly. Uh, we're, we're one of the fastest growing big cities in the country, uh, and that's been something that's, that's been happening over the course of the last decade. And transportation is at the core of some of the challenges that we're facing as a city in how growth has affected how people are getting around. And we know as a city we can't continue this trajectory that we're on if people's only choice is to, is to drive a personal car. So I would say at the core of what we've done as a city and, and as a region is to expand traditional transit. So we're expanding light rail. The city of Seattle passed what's called the Seattle Transit Benefit District, which has been a massive expansion of the traditional bus network. But we've also then known that there's there's still gaps in what we have in terms of how how we get people around. And so the new mobility playbook is a opportunity to sort of define basic principles and an approach to how we get people around in all sorts of ways, but really taking advantage of new mobility options and integrate those into a the larger transportation system, knowing that the city needs to be nimble and responsive. And and because the landscape is changing so quickly, we can't necessarily predict everything that's going to happen over over the course of this sort of rapid change, both in the city and in the transportation landscape. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, before you came to Seattle DOT in February, you had spent about seven and a half years with DDOT in Washington, D.C., how did your work there on the East Coast inform your work that you're now doing on the West Coast? D.C. and Seattle are actually very, very similar cities and departments of transportation, both full-service transportation agencies that own and operate roadway infrastructure, do things like urban forestry. We both have bike share, big bike share programs. There's also some big differences and and sort of nuances in how each city operates. Similar sized cities, similar sized agencies, actually. I think a lot of what we've done both in Seattle and in D.C. is learn from each other as cities uh, and sort of this broader network of cities that are all responding to these same types of changes in the transportation world and and how we get our residents and, and workers around the city on a daily basis. You know, I think what 
Seattle has been able to do and, and do very clearly is sort of articulate what those principles are that will guide our work around new mobility in particular. But I think it applies sort of to the overall framework for how we think about transportation. And so that, that new mobility playbook that you talked about uh, has a set of five principles that help ground our work. Uh, and those are put people in safety first, design for customer dignity and happiness, so really a cu customer service focus, uh, advance race and social justice, which is a very important part of how we do our work here in the city of Seattle, forge a clean mobility future, and keep an even playing field. And I think those five are basic principles that are pretty clear and easy to understand that can help us as conditions continue to change and evolve. I wanted to talk a little bit about one of those plays that you had mentioned. Uh, you talk about social and racial justice. That's something that you go back to not too many years ago that uh, departments of transportation, both at the state and city level, really weren't paying attention to in a lot of places. Why do you see that as one of the uh, five plays that you want to address in Seattle when it comes to mobility? Yeah, so Seattle has, for almost 20 years now, had the Race and Social Justice Initiative, which is a citywide effort to overcome systemic and historic racism in the city. And I think that is very important when you start to think about how people access transportation, where we've had communities that have had traditional underinvestment in choices where communities are pressured by other things like uh, affordable housing or education access and how transportation can help address some of the other pressures or can become another factor that leads to displacement or lack of access. And so I think putting that front and center in how we think about new mobility and mobility as a service really helps make sure that we're grounding our decisions in thinking about how we reap the benefits of new mobility without creating new barriers or, or we limit access for certain parts of our population. So I, I really think being intentional about that and making sure it's at the core of how we think about this helps us avoid some of those past failures of, of the transportation industry as a whole in sort of exacerbating uh, historic racism. Now, I mentioned at the start about how people think of Seattle and put it near the top of the list that they might put together when it comes to cities with a number of mobility options. But Seattle also is thought of as a place where technology plays a big role with a lot of private sector companies having their headquarters in and around Seattle that are involved with technology. How does technology and apps improve accessibility to mobility? And is it an advantage in this day and age to be in a place where technology plays such an important role in everyday life? Yeah, so, you know, we're definitely right at the center of that. And that's the technology industry has been real driver of that rapid growth in, in the city here. And we've seen that both in terms of people's openness to using technology to help inform their transportation choices, where, where we have industries that are drawing people to the city. And really, that means that people are using platforms for a lot of different things, from trip planning to mode choice. I think it's a real opportunity here, being close to some of that industry, to, to leverage uh, expertise and maybe non-traditional places to bring people into the transportation industry and help us think through these things. But then also it helps us remember that we as a public agency don't need to recreate some of the, what the private uh, sector is doing, but we do need to help guide and inform and understand where the gaps and challenges are. The city here, we've got what we call the Seattle squeeze going on, where there's massive changes to how people are getting around downtown and a number of private construction projects that are that are affecting how we get 
uh, around the city as well. So we've started collecting information on all of our street closures. Then we can f push out uh, in a real-time data feed to private providers like Google and TomTom that then can help people navigate how they can get around the city the most efficiently. We've worked to expand in the same way real-time travel information for buses and light rail to improve transit ridership and transit legibility for customers and provide that reliable travel experience that people depend on if they're, if, you know, as, as they're using public transportation. And so, so we know that overall technology can solve real problems, but we need to understand what those problems are. It's not technology for technology's sake. It's really technology to help address where we see gaps and how people are using our transportation system. When you talk about shared mobility, one of the things that really has been in the news in the past year or so have been scooters, both the uh, kind that are, are powered by feet and the kind that uh, have electricity to give them a bit of a boost. Seattle at this point has not permitted scooters, at least not yet, but Mayor Durkin had recently announced that there's going to be a scooter share pilot program that's going to be coming into Seattle. And what she wants to do is build on the programs and what I assume lessons learned in other cities. What's Seattle going to do to focus on safety and equity when it comes to scooter use? And what about the concerns of liability when it comes to scooters? Those are the big areas that we've still got to work through exactly how, how we um, make a scooter pilot functional in Seattle. We've had for the last few years a very successful bike share program, free-floating bike share after a dock-based program really struggled here, but we've got one of the largest free-floating bike share programs in the country right now, and it's been largely successful, and that's because we've worked iteratively with the providers and tried to work through some of the issues that we've seen, part of which is just the impact of parking bikes on pedestrians and particularly people with disabilities. So, you know, we've worked very closely with our disabled advocates around helping people park. You know, we've just released a new video on how to park bikes safely. I think the same thing we'll have to tackle and address when it comes to scooters. Uh, scooters, from everything that we've seen and my experience in D.C., provide a new mobility choice that is, is really changing how people are getting around in cities. But we want to integrate that into our transportation system in a way that's responsible and doesn't create unintended consequences for our community as well. You know, we've seen some of the injury figures from other places around scooters, and, and we want to make sure we can have scooters integrated here safely. We also want to be mindful, again, about our race and social justice initiative and, our, and how we think about transportation equity. Uh, we've seen some recent reports that uh, scooters end up costing more. And we want to make sure we're integrating bike share. You know, we're not losing our bike share benefits for uh, integrating scooters into, into our system. So I think there's a little bit to, to work out. Washington State is, I'm still learning, but Washington State is a very interesting place when it comes to litigation and liability issues. And, and that has some particular issues in our legal landscape in Washington State. One of the things that you ran into shortly after arriving was the Alaskan Way Viaduct Project and what that meant as far as transportation is concerned for the city of Seattle. What was that like and how does mobility as a service fit into all that was going on with that project, which to some extent is still underway? Sure, it's very much still underway. And, you know, I came, uh, I started actually the third week of closure of the Alaskan Way Viaduct as we transitioned from the elevated freeway to a 
tunnel through downtown, which, you know, that's a tunnel and viaduct that's carrying, you know, 70 to 90,000 vehicles a day, very important in some of our bus routes as well. And so it certainly shaped how people got around over, over the course of this winter. Uh, it was a three-week closure, the longest closure of a freeway in, in this region's history. And it was remarkable to see how people shifted. And I think thinking about mobility as a service and really helped people survive that three-week period. We saw more people biking. Uh, we saw a lot more telework and uh, flexibility that employers were able to offer people in terms of how they, they got around. People flexed their commutes to various times, which created some interesting ripple effects that don't usually impact our transportation system in new ways. We also launched some new services, uh, including rideshare to transit. We expanded water taxi service. Uh, and it really, I think, looked at how people people were changing their commutes almost on a daily basis based on what they needed to do, and that enabled us to get demand down enough to sort of make it tolerable for, for everybody for that three-week period. We're using those same sort of transportation muscles repeatedly over the next few years as we go through a number of changes in how people get around downtown Seattle and, and the area immediately surrounding downtown, and that's due to uh, a lot of massive transportation investments in transit and in improved access, but also a bunch of civic and, and private development projects. You talk about the Alaskan Way Viaduct project, and I want to talk about that a little bit more just in terms of a transportation project and, and how the city coped with it. And from the news stories that I read, it seemed to cope with it rather well. We have projects going back to the 1980s, like the Big Dig in Boston, uh, down near Los Angeles when they had Carmageddon that they were going to be shutting down a freeway, one of the most heavily traveled freeways for an entire weekend. And then you have events going back to some experience I'm sure that you had in D.C. where a snowstorm comes during rush hour and everything shuts down. What are some of the differences how those major events are handled versus something that's unexpected and the problems it causes Seattle is, is, as we are rapidly growing and changing, we're, the, the transportation landscape here is evolving very quickly. And I think what was a very auto-dominated region in many respects is rapidly changing and people are getting around in very different ways. And I think what led to our success over this winter with the viaduct closure was really built on multiple years, like going back several decades of continuous investment and policy changes that sort of led us to be able to be as flexible as we are. And I think a couple things that I can point to is, is again, our rapid expansion of bus service here. Just a few years ago, we only had 25% of city residents with a 10-minute walk access to 10-minute frequency bus service, and now we're over 70% with access of that kind of 10-minute walk to 10-minute frequency bus service. In the last few decades, the region's opened the first light rail line, expanded commuter rail and water taxi and water-based transit. And then the, the state has a history uh, going back quite a while now of growth management and commute trip reduction for major employers that leads people to think about transportation demand management, how we get people to and from work, that leads to people's ability to be more flexible than they are if their only option is to, to drive their own car. Uh, and so I think you saw all of those investments and programs and policies come together as we responded to major changes in and around downtown Seattle over the course of this winter that let people be more flexible uh, and maybe take the bus one day and bike the next or 
take the bus knowing that if they really had an emergency, they would have a TNC that they could get home to take care of whatever they needed to take care of. And then the flexibility that employers provided in terms of alternative work schedules and, and things like that. Those things aren't things you can just sort of turn on and off. It takes a deliberate set of policies and investments over the course of time that prepares you as a region to be that flexible to respond to some of these things. And I think we were able to to make it through a couple of big changes. Uh, and, and we've really had, on the scale of things, like pretty massive changes in the in the way that people get in and around downtown very quickly that will lead to really much better uh, options in the future. The whole purpose of the Alaskan Wave viaduct removal is to open up Seattle's waterfront in a way that hasn't been accessible to the downtown in decades, if if really ever. And we also had what we call the end of joint operations in our downtown transit tunnel. It used to be a bus and rail tunnel. We've had buses come out of the tunnel in, onto surface streets, so 800 additional bus trips a day coming out of a downtown tunnel and onto our surface streets that we managed through at the end of March and into April. And so I think that all those things, all the, the things that we've done as a city and as a region led us to be able to respond to all of these big changes in the transportation space and really ultimately have consumers, have riders, have travelers be able to still meet their daily needs, be flexible and adapt to, to these really big changes. When you talk about lessons that you've learned, obviously you can call on the experience that you had in Washington, D.C., but there are a number of cities that are tackling some of these mobility issues in various forms. What lessons have you taken from other cities that you're applying in Seattle so that you can make transportation options more safe, equitable, and accessible? Both me and, and my staff here at SDOT, we love learning from other cities. And I think that makes our decisions here. Like We very much value the networks that we have with other cities. And, and there's really innovation going on throughout the city landscape across this country and, and obviously in other countries as well. So I think we've been able to share information with each other so that if one of us jumps into a pool on one issue, we can quickly share information and then you know let others lead and, and we can lead on certain things and make sure that we translate that learning across our different cities. And I think that there's, there's so many different places to lead in, in the transportation arena overall right now, uh, whether it's data or how we build our infrastructure or how we communicate with customers. I think there's really just a lot to learn from other cities, and we certainly don't think that we've figured it all out here, but are happy to share the things that we have figured out. And speaking to that, tell me what advice you might offer to another city that wants to pursue some of the same ideas that you've already been implementing in, in Seattle. I think making sure that we're good listeners as public agencies, that we don't necessarily have all the answers, and that might be that we, we, you know, good ideas are going to come from everywhere, uh, both within our own agencies and people throughout our organizations, but also our customers, our day-to-day -day travelers, the tech uh, industry, employers, we're getting good ideas from throughout. We also think that taking calculated risks is important, and I think communicating what those risks are. So we know that we don't have the answers to everything. Uh, we've been able to successfully pilot, evaluate, and iterate on some of our programs, bike share, even how we build our infrastructure. We can evaluate whether things are working and then stay the course or, or change course if we need to. And then I think you know, going back, learning from other cities and making sure that we're taking the, the best ideas 
and adopting adopting them as quickly as possible and and then also just learning from our own mistakes and and being willing to share some of our mistakes and and own them and and then make quick adjustments one thing that we're doing now we've just started is uh, convening a transportation equity work group which is a new effort for us to help us define transportation equity and in ways that you know i think we've traditionally thought about equity in terms of affordability uh, making sure there's there's accessibility making sure we're sort of serving all parts of the city but we don't know if that's the right set of things to be really addressing that might help overcome some historic and ongoing disparities. So we've convened a group of, of outside stakeholders to help us think through this issue. And uh, that's something I'm very excited about, learning from people and sort of un- understanding from a user or service provider perspective how we we can rethink and really, really accelerate some of our work around equity and overcoming these disparities that we see within our city. Well, I know it's certainly been interesting watching what Seattle has done, and it's going to remain interesting to watch what Seattle is going to be doing. And I thank you so much, Sam, for taking the time to talk to us on uh, this episode of the podcast. Thank you. This was great. And our guest on ITE Talks Transportation has been Sam Zimbabwe, the director of Seattle DOT. Sam, once again, thanks for your time. Thank you.